Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Decision Hour. I'm your host, Adam Bird. This show is about philanthropy, entrepreneurship, positive thinking, and humanity. A show that'll help make a decision when that hour is upon you. Our guests share some of their experience, expertise, and stories during their decision hour. You get to hear what they're doing today and how it's going to help you in the near future. My guest today, same way. She's doing some great things in the community. I'm going to bring her on here in just a minute. But first off, I want to give a huge thank you to Heroes Media Group, all the great shows and sponsors on the network. To learn more about Heroes Media Group or how you can become part of the HMG family, simply go to www.heroesmediagroup.com. Now today, I got uh, an awesome guest lined up for you guys. Uh, She is absolutely amazing. She just wrote a book. She is a combat veteran. Um, So without further ado, I guess I should probably just bring her on. Carolyn Smith. Carolyn, how are you? I'm I'm a little under the weather, but I'm awesome. How are you? I'm doing great. I appreciate you taking time to speak with us today. Hey, no worries, man. It's my pleasure. So why don't you, let's jump right into this. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, um, A, thanks for having me on, and uh, greetings, everyone, from sunny San Diego. Um, My name, of course, is Carolyn Smith, Um, and when I was, for about 14 years, I was a professional athlete. I raced a bicycle um, domestically, also internationally. Um, When I was 19, I went to my first Olympic trials. Uh, When I was 20, I moved down to Australia and raced on the international circuit. And uh, the plans were to prepare for the Sydney Olympics. And um, just before the Sydney Olympics, I had a, a super small injury. Um, I was speed skating. And uh, so that kind of set aside Sydney, which wasn't really that big of a deal. I was so young. Um, and so I was thinking about Athens um, and as was my coaching staff. And of course, uh, 9-11 comes around. And um at the tender age of 29, I uh, gave up my career and uh, the boyfriend at the time and uh, enlisted in the U.S. Army. Um, I actually selected a rapid deployment unit um, and uh, to be stationed overseas because I already knew the luxury of living overseas. And um, when I was in basic training, uh, because I was so highly advanced from everybody else, um, I went into a fast track program and, it, and not just received a training on being a military police officer, but additional training uh, for PSC, which is personal security detachment and um, a variety of other schools. Um, when I went to my unit, uh, we quickly deployed uh, from, from the field, of course, and I was in Iraq in April 2004. Um, the uniqueness was um, I was a cruiser machine gunner. So I'm less than, as the statistics say, I'm less than one half of one half of one half of one percent of women that were actually forward deployed. Um, My job um, was several things. Uh, First, we had to conduct or got to conduct regular uh, patrols. I was in the northwest sector of Baghdad, so I had from Taji, Shula, Ghazalia, all the way down to Biop. We trained the Iraqi police. Uh, in TTP, uh, Tactics, Techniques, and Procedures, and uh, conducted day-night operations, LPOPs, uh, all those things. But then um, the PSE comes back in, the security detachment. Um, so when we had some of the brass coming through back then, um, my team, we would uh, you know, travel them from A to B, uh, hopefully safer 
And uh, so anyway, so um, and then um, every now and then uh, I was second in the stack on my raid team. Um, gender lines wasn't wasn't really a thing of, of concern uh, in the MP core. If you if you excel at your job and you can do your job, then then hop in the stack and get it done. Uh, so after uh, kicking a couple doors um, by. September, uh, things changed quite a bit. We, uh, we had our first casualty. Um, our, uh, lieutenant was, uh, shot on one of our, uh, September 7th of 04, he was shot and killed, uh, right next to me. And, um, the uniqueness of, of that issue is, you know, you, you still have to do your job. And, um, again, we didn't leave until April of 2005. Uh, so went back in the gun and um, daily mortars, uh, IEDs, car bombs, you name it, we had it. Um, I was there for January of 05 for the very first election. Um, a pretty amazing experience uh, to see a country who was seriously oppressed uh, get the opportunity to, to have a, for the most part, free election. That was a very interesting experience. Pretty cool. And then... Um, after uh, the very day, probably about 18 hours before we were completely done and going to redeploy back to Germany, which was my duty station, um, we had one too many IED hits and um, didn't know I was injured at the time because anybody listening would know uh, when you go through something like that, your adrenaline is helping you out. And um, so anyway, redeployed back to, to Germany and... Um, then from there, I was actually ETSing, and part parcel for the ETS was I um, had been solicited by a number of companies um, to go high threat contracting in the private sector, and um, I think the draw for me was was too hard to overcome, um, and so I uh, ETS out of active army. I knew I had some injuries, um, but I, I was sort of ignoring them. Uh, the PTSD was coming on pretty quickly, and I uh, just kind of wanted to get into the new groove uh, outside of the military and, and put my head down and, and get some work in. Um, I ended up um, contracting for some folks out in on the East Coast in Virginia and, um, and spent the next seven and a half, eight years doing high-threat contracting pretty much all over the globe and uh, maybe have made a great name for myself in the contracting world. I'm, I'm in corporate now, which is nice. Um, but as the, as the years sort of progressed and I was inside the VA, um, what we found was is I had a, a cracked uh, lower vertebrae. I had flipped lower vertebrae. I had you know some, some secondary inhalation, sucked a couple blasts in and, and uh, had some hearing issues, had TBI. Of course, the PTSD was, was uh, blaring right about that point. And, um, you know, for me, the VA was a, a pretty bad experience because I'm a woman, and they literally would kept, they literally kept saying, look, we know women are not in combat. Just tell us what really happened. And um, so if I would come in and, you know, a little summer dress and flip-flops, as you do in California, um, you were treated with disdain, and they would ask, you know, hey, so where's your veteran? You're like, well, it's me. Um, so um, I was still, at, at that point in time, I went into the reserves, which was the worst decision ever, do not go in the reserves, um, <laughs> and had a pretty substandard uh, unit that I was attached to, and um, 
So when I went into the VA and they discovered the injuries um, that were pretty severe, they actually didn't do anything about it. They, um, in their infinite wisdom, chose to um, put me on a four and a half term cycle of high dose opioids. Um, and then, um, yeah, it was pretty bad. It was it was uh, pretty negligent. And, and um, fo- Caroline, I want to interrupt you real quick. Because you say, you're saying a lot, and I want to make sure we're highlighting some of this stuff here real quick. So those of you that are that are listening to this right now that that aren't, I know there's a lot of you out there that listen to this show that aren't aren't uh, that are not military and not veterans. So first off, Carolyn's job that she had MP, not uncommon to find women in the MP units. Her specific job, however, uh, as a gunner uh, in an MP unit at the time that she was in was not something that was very common that you saw uh, in the military. So I mean, we're, we're talking to like uh, she's she's kind of a she's a big deal. Uh, basically, she's she's kind of a badass, and the fact that she takes kind of, she, kind of a trendsetter. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> she she the fact that she did what she did in Iraq, and then she went out into the um, civilian sector and and with the contracting work and the stuff that she's doing now. Also, even even today, I mean, you start seeing, and I'm I'm guessing here. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Carolyn. I know you will. Um, it's still not common to see a lot of women in the line of work that you do. Is that, is that a fair statement? Yeah. I mean, you do see some women, but um, they're um, educated by school. They're not educated by school and uh, combat experience. So they won't get the same um, positions that I will. You'll still you'll find, you'll find women on, you know, PSD teams, but you'll find them in a, lower tiered position because you can't ensure the client, you know, exactly what you're going to do when things go south because you haven't had that experience before. Right. So there are women in my business. Um, again, they're just usually, um, educated, not by, uh, the experience, but, but by paper. Um, and, and, and I, you know, I have both. I have my bachelor's degree and I have, you know, 17 years of high threat contracting whether military or, or private sector. So let me, let me ask you, and, and it, it's such an amazing story. You go from a professional athlete training for the Olympics to joining the military and, and, and getting deployed right away to, to your injuries. And then, and then going from that into your, your contracting work, the show's called the decision hour. I want you right now to explain that that transition from from uh, the first transition you made from 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 stopping your your training as an Olympic athlete to joining the military, you said that was nine eleven. That was a big part of it. Do you remember? Was it just not, what happened at nine eleven, or was there something else? Can you explain that decision hour, that point in your life where you were just like, you know what? there's something bigger out there for me. This is what I'm going to do. And then the second part of that is explain your transition from the military into what you're doing now and that decision and how that progressed and paint that picture. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a great question. So um, my sport was the velodrome and 99.9% of Americans don't even know what the velodrome is. Uh, the velodrome is European cycling um, it's a banked oval track and you ride a bicycle with no brakes and a fixed gear and a direct drive. And it kind of 
there was a realization point to where um, you knew that even if you won uh, the world championships or any medal, you know, meddling at all in the Olympics, you knew that it wasn't going to lead you very far because I had had friends who had already done that and they were still working a, you know, basic nine to five job, which if that's for you, that's great, but that, that's not me. Um, and so it's a combination of things. A, my, my lineage is my dad was a Vietnam veteran. Um, his dad was a full board colonel in the Marine Corps, um, a big to-do guy in the books. And, and all the way back, we have service. So it was a pivot. Um, and this is what I say a lot in my public speaking. It was a pivot point. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. It was a decision point. And I decided that, you know what, there is something bigger. A, a, a medal would be great. But because I'm in such an obscure sport, it wouldn't put me anywhere. It, it would just leave me here. Hey, that's great. You have a medal. That's awesome. Uh, then you just go on with your life, as my friends and counterparts had done in my, on my team. And uh, so for me, it was, it was that, you know, my boyfriend at the time, he did not want to date somebody, you know, that was going to the military. Um, I really didn't have any support because everybody assumed, well, wait a minute, you're an athlete, you know, go, go finish that. Don't, don't not finish things. And my position to them was, but you don't understand this is, this is my life. And I see the end game in finishing my cycling career. And it's not going to be the optics. It's not going to be the, the life that I want. And um, so kind of bucking a lot of the system, I made a choice and the choice cost me. It cost me, you know, the relationship I'd had for five years. Uh, it cost me um, friends who, who thought that, you know, I'd gone off, you know, gone off the rails. Um, cost me, you know, a bit of sponsorship issues because they, not everybody was keen on the idea. <clears throat> but, but at the end of the day, when you make your decisions, the decisions are your legacy for your own life not for anybody else's. So when, and I'm sorry, you'll have to forgive me. Uh, I have a TBI. So what was the other question? The other, the, 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 the second part of it was, um, okay, so you, you made that transition. Now the, the second decision hour, if you will, um, from the military, when you're transitioning out up from the military into the civilian sector and, and doing what it is that you do today. Right. So that one, um, that decision was based on the fact that if anybody is listening has any kind of PTSD or, um, you know, maybe chronic depression or, or whatnot, you, you know when the walls are closing in a little bit and you know when it's time to kind of step away from what you're doing. And in the military, we call it a lift and shift. Right. And it's, it's a, it, it's kind of a, you know, term when you're in the middle of fighting. Right. And you really have, you really have to lift and shift uh, and pivot and make a decision that if I stay in the military and don't take the opportunity of contracting, because we're talking six figure salaries. And it wasn't about the money necessarily. It was about the fact that I was going to, if you want to call it break the glass ceiling, whatever, you know, whatever metaphor you want to use, I saw that the opportunity was, I didn't know any other women that were doing the, the, the type of work that I was doing. And I thought I would be remiss. Just, I mean, these are how I always make life decisions. They're super big. They're super bold. 
Um, and that's just, you know, I set standards super, super high. And then if I, if I miss the standard, I'm still, you know, doing something pretty cool in life. Um, so for me, it, it just seemed like a no brainer. Did I miss the military? Sure. But all the people that I knew I'd be working with were prior service anyway. And, um, so, you know, you still had to get up super early in the morning. You didn't, you know, you didn't have to run anymore. Thank God. Um, that's, that's a lie. Um, but it, it just seems that a combination of facts, it was going to set me up financially, um, to be in a, a, an amazing position as a single woman. Um, and it did, you know, I bought home by myself. I, uh, been to 18 countries. I either, either lived, worked or traveled, uh, to that many nations. Um, and it's, and, and for me, I'm a forward thinker. So I, and, and that really stems from being an athlete. So if anybody's listening and they're an athlete, you understand you play the end game. Right. So if you're, say you're a sprinter, right? So you play the, the whole sprint out in your head um, at, and you're winning. And then you deconstruct that, um, you know, at the start line and you know exactly what you're going to do. Um, so for my life, that's how I do everything in my life. I, if, as long as I can get it locked into my head, um, in, in the wind category, um, I just deconstruct it and figure out how do I get there? Um, is it, is it, you know, um, utilizing, um, philanthropy? Is it utilizing, um, you know, veteran, uh, transitional health? Uh, what is it? Um, my issue was is that that was all great and fine and dandy and I have a great career, uh, but the PTSD was pretty bad. And um, I don't know how you want to transition into the PTSD part. Um, Go for but, it. Um, so Go for it. Say again? Go for it. Go for it. Run with yeah. it. So for, so for me, um, PTSD made my career 10 times better. I was hypervigilant, hyperaware, hyperalert, hypersensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for a woman um, in this, field it everybody around me was like holy you know what you are so on it and what they didn't realize and some of them actually did because they were kind of going through the same thing um but the ones that didn't that weren't aware um they didn't understand that the extreme ptsd that i had made it so i was so exceptional at my job um that i transitioned um you know when a contract is done they'll trans Usually what you have to do is when a contract is done or about to be done, you, uh, as the protectee, you're calling around for the contracts. But for seven years, I never made a phone call. Now, now Carolyn, Every- re- Carolyn, real quick, for those of you that are listening, right now she's talking about her contracting uh, position that, that she does. Explain to the listeners exactly when, when you're talking about a contracting job, what exactly was your job as a contractor? Well, some of the things I'll, I'll omit um, just because I, I have signed contractual agreements to not talk about it. But right. um, essentially what it is, is I look after people who have a threat of kidnap or assassination. And, and then, caveat, um, I also uh, have a background in what's called extraction. So there are, are folks <laughs> that are in a country uh, that are going to turn evidence in the international criminal courts, which is called the Hague. And they are basically underground and cannot get out of the country that they need to um, uh, turn evidence against. So they have something against the government in the country that they're in. And, of course, the government's not going to let them out because they don't want that information out. So my, my team would go in and clandestinely extract them 
um, through different methods and get them to international waters, transfer them to some folks, and they would head off to the Hague. And and uh, and um, and you could imagine that these these you know these positions that I'm in, they're you know we, we use million dollar assets. Um, boats and air, you know, kind of airplanes and luxury cars and all this other stuff. You, so it's a very Jason Bourne ass. Like, I, was, uh, you know. I was just gonna say, Carol, your life sounds like a movie right now. Like, when's the movie you know rights what? coming out? Like, when when are we gonna see Carolyn on the big screen? That's that's the next question. Well, actually, I've I've been asked that a couple times. I think you should. I think it's awesome. Yes, um, and literally, I remember one day, and you always. Know, I don't really, um, sorry, I'm trying to save my lungs. Um, but I literally, and one of my, one of my, um, one of my deployments, so to speak, um, I remember we're sitting on the, uh, kind of like the lip of this boat and we're trying to get away from the Navy of this particular chosen country. And they didn't even know we were there. So it was kind of funny. Um, you know, we're kind of looking around like, geez, we're, why isn't anybody chasing us? And uh, so we're breaking up our uh, phones, and uh, my my buddy, you know, we look at each other. And he says, "Just that man, this is some Jason Bourne stuff, you know, because we're breaking apart, you know, phones so nobody can track us. It's, it's a very cool experience." That's awesome. All right, now I want to I want to do a transition shift here just a little bit. So you have a website called uh, threepawsup.com, and you. <laughs> You recently, uh, you're also a, a an author. You, you wrote a book uh, called Sophia the uh, the Bionic Cat. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Right. So it's kind of ironic, right? So you switch from you know this this kind of badass, you know, optic view of I don't know, Mister and Mrs. Smith or whatnot, um, into a kitten. So. <laughs> Um, I finally, in, in 2009, um, I finally got some much needed PTSD care. Um, and, um, in, but what, what people didn't realize is that my spine was so badly injured and the VA was not taking care of it. Um, I was, I was pretty much on my last leg of being able to cope with the amount of pain that I was in. So for, I'll just give your readers or listeners. So for nine and a half years, the pain level was a, from a zero to a 10. It was a nine every single day Ooh. for nearly a decade. Um, and then, of course, you know, the VA and high dose opioids and, and whatnot. But the spine can only, you know, kind of last for so long when it's that damaged. Um, I was super lucky in 2014. Um, I got into a program. It's called uh, Operation MEND, M-E-N-D, and it's out of UCLA. It is for um, Iraq and Afghanistan combat wounded veterans. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's a private program, privately funded, and um, so I am currently fusing with, in my lower lumbar, which is my L4, L5S1, with a biotech. So I've, I have plates and screws in my L4, L5S1, and between the the plates is a biomorphogenic that's creating my own genetic bone back into my spine. So it's a very, if you, if you think about it, um, it's a very uh, bionic moment. Wow. And it really, it really legitimately saved my life because I was about to be a statistic because I was so, I, um, the pain was so severe. I, I, you know, I'm 43. I've never been married. I had no kids. 
because I lived a decade in, in, in really, really severe pain and tried everything I could with the VA to get them to fix it. And of course they didn't because, you know, when they're not in combat. And, um, and so it really, you know, the professional life was amazing. Private life, not so much. Um, and so when I finally got the, um, the surgery, <clears throat> again, sorry, I'm suffering from the flu here, but um, I literally was on Facebook and the San Diego Humane Society <clears throat> had shown these two little pictures of these, these little kittens. And I was like, oh my God, I totally must have them. And what I didn't know at the time, and I found out when I went to the Humane Society, is that Sophia is an amputee. Um, it's the suspect that in the first week, she was found in the field, and she's found with her umbilical cord wrapped around her lower, her rear limb, and so, you know, she persevered. She had no nutrients, you know, no mom, no shelter, no food, no nothing for the first week and a half of her life, and she stuck through it. And so she received an amputation at about two and a half weeks old. And so when I picked her up, she was, you know, fully weaned and all that stuff. And she was actually a bonded pair with a little boy kitten. And um, so when I came in and picked her up, um, the story, and we actually did our first PSA commercial about it. The story was disabled veteran adopts disabled kitten. Um, but the way the PSA commercial is in concert with, Clorox brand companies, Tidy Cat Litter, um, and the, the commercial is actually called uh, One Hero of the Million Meow Mission. It was a PSA to encourage people to adopt, you know, adopt, don't shop. And um, the, the story flipped itself when People Magazine came around and they said disabled kitten, um, you know, saves disabled veterans. And as a veteran, um, we're typically problem solvers. That's what we like to do. And when I had her in the house for a couple of weeks, I was like trying to find things that would make it so the, the, the nub of her sub wasn't so sensitive. Because I have friends that are amputees. And so I would put little socks on. I'd try and find like little Barbie shoes, which was kind of ironic because I'm a grown-up. Um, <laughs> and then... Um, I, I found a company, it's called Fab Lab, F-A-B-L-A-B, and it's here in San Diego, and they are a all-volunteer tech lab. So they have projects. So you come into their lab, you donate X amount of time to their projects, and when you fulfill that requirement, you can use the entire lab at your discretion for your project. So if you're, um, you know, a young person and you want to, you know, make the first whatever it is, um, you have a lab that's got, you know, a million dollars worth of equipment that you can use, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a give and take. And um, it really adds, um, it really gives kids the opportunity to grow in, in different fields where they wouldn't typically have the opportunity to use this kind of machinery. And of course, if you're working on your dissertation or thesis or whatnot, so I went to the lab, and the lab is ran by a former Marine, uh, his name is Alan, <clears throat> and um, I, I just approached him. I said, hey, Brother Marine, um, here's my kitten. I want to make a 3D printed prosthetic. It's never been done before. You want to do it? And he's like, yeah, of course. Let's try it and see what happens. So about nine months ago, 
the prototype that we made is the first ever detachable 3D printed prosthetic. And the, the prosthetic design is slowly changing um, because, you know, it's, it, the design in your head isn't as functional when you have it on, you know, when you have it on a cat. Cats tend to tuck their legs a little bit, you know, closer into the body than a dog. And we just didn't have anything to go off of other than assumption. So now we're on the third phase. And if you, if you think about like the, you know, a swoopy leg, a running leg for an amputee, right? It's just kind of a slow, uh, like a lazy L. Right. And uh, so we're actually on the third leg creating, um, you know, more of a, um, a design that allow her to, when she sits down, just tuck right into her body. And so from this, it's a great story. So I created a children's book. It's called Sophia the Bionic Cat. It is a true story of a disabled veteran and an amputee kitten and how through technology and perseverance, we overcome. The interesting thing about the book is we found somebody who had just created a new typeset and it's called Open Dyslexic. So my book is written <clears throat> in a way that if you have dyslexia or your child has dyslexia, you'll read the book the way that I wrote it, not the way a dyslexic brain will choose to read it. Huh. And I did that part and parcel because as somebody with a, I have a mild traumatic brain injury. It's called MTBI. So because I had that, I noticed that there are some tasks that are more difficult for me. Sometimes it's reading the book. And it's not, it doesn't create a dyslexic situation, but it definitely makes my brain work a lot harder and so this book, I wanted to create as many, you know, opportunities of conversation. So now we're talking to the National Diabetes Foundation, because unfortunately, some people that have diabetes, they do end up being amputees, right? And now we're talking to the Dyslexia Foundation, talking to Shriners Children's Hospital, Rabies Hospital. So Sophia the Violent Cat and the Three Paws Up Company is really an ode to your enough. You have exactly what you need to do right now to do exactly what you need to do right now. You just need to pivot or make a great decision, as your, as your show says. And you actually need to make that decision and go and do it. Because what I find as a public speaker is I find that people don't make decisions predicated off the fear it's going to cause the heartache it's going to cause, mm -hmm. the discontent, the malcontent, all of these other issues. But then what happens is you blink your eyes, and it's a decade later. I run across so many women, uh, typically older, and they're like, all I ever wanted to do was serve in the military, but my mom said no. But my dad said girls don't do that. And while I'm not a feminist, I, I understand more than most people that life is very, very short. You're lucky, you know, the first 20 some odd years of your life is, is, you know, doing crazy things, being a kid, having fun. Right. After that, you know, from, uh, from there, you know, I think statistically it says you sleep for about 12 to 15 years, right? To the course of a life. So if you add that on, now you're in your thirties and life doesn't always go to a hundred. Sometimes it goes to 40 or 50 or 60. So if that's the case, Make decisions, right? Decision time or your pivot, whatever. Make them in accordance to, I mean, be responsible, you know, and all those other things. But you have to make good decisions. And you have to make bold decisions. 
Because if you don't, and you're listening to this, you're going to end up in that relationship that is just okay. You're not really happy, but it's, you know, you're kind of going with the flow. It's not bad, but it's not great, but it's just okay. And because life isn't all that long, you really need to make those bold decisions for your life so that you can have a life that you see in your head. And I know that a lot of people that I run into, so my first public speaking, I had the luxury of uh, speaking uh, at Raytheon here in San Diego, one of the largest you know, tech companies uh, for us here in San Diego. And after the, uh, you know, after I gave the speech, some of the, uh, some of the women said exactly what I was trying to explain to them. Like, you know, hey, I'm, I'm not happy with this person or I've been, you know, renting a house. Life is, you're not taking anything with you. When you pass to the next world, you don't get to take anything with you. So, so live now. Yeah. Live responsibly, of course. I'm not saying to be, uh, you know, crazy about it. But, you know, physically responsible, be a good steward, be a good human being, um, you know, be, be a good person, volunteer, all of those other things. But, but really make sure that you have a life that you see in your head and talk to, you know, talk to people about it. Talk to yourself about it. Don't be scared to tell them, hey, look, this, I know I had this great corporate job or I had this great whatever job, but this isn't what I want to do. And people are still scared to hurt other people's feelings or let other people down. But they really don't reach out and say, you know what, this isn't, this isn't my life. It's great. It's paying all the bills. We have this great house. We have this great time. It's still not what I want to do. So when it's your decision time, you really have to know what your ultimate goal is. And you have to take a risk, right? It's risk versus reward. Yep. So mitigate, mitigate what the fallout's going to be if you can and go for it. You never reach you never reach your full potential on it. You know, I, I've said this on the show. I've shared, you know, I, I know Steve Harvey had something going around on, on social media about jump. You have to take that leap of faith. You have to, you have to jump. I, I've incorporated uh, as, you know, I'm an outdoors guy. I spend a lot of time in the woods up in Northern Wisconsin. And, and you, when you, if you're walking in the woods and you, you're on a path and you come to a fork in the, in a road, are you going to go left? Or are you going to go Right. Or are you going to turn and you're going to blaze your own trail? Blaze your own trail. You, but you'll never know the potential you have until you actually do it. You can see, you can stay safe on the sideline and watch life pass you by, and 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 that's that's fine if you want to play the safe route. But you're never going to know what your life could have been like unless you take that leap of faith or unless you blaze your own trail. Yeah, and not not just that, but people think that the left and right fork is is the only option, but, but so what's the worst that's going to happen? So if everybody's like, you got to take the left fork and you're like, no, nah, I'm going to be in the blaze my path. I'm going to take the right fork. And, and so if the right fork doesn't work, you know, I could just turn around, walk backwards and go last. People, people think singular. People think it's this or that. Yep. It's I can only do this or I can only do that. But it's almost like, it's almost like, think about it. If you go to, say, for example, Baskin Robbins, oh, out to Baskin Robbins, because I love them. If you go to Baskin Robbins, it, you have the opportunity. You're like, oh, I want to try this flavor. And you're like, well, I think that's good. I'll take that scoop. You can go back and if you get out to your truck and you're like, nope, that wasn't the best decision. You can go back in and get another one. <laughs> People think that you, I mean, life is actually very simple. 
in, in, in fairness, war is actually very simple. Right. Most veterans love combat because it's very simple. You eat, you uh, sometimes you get a little bit of sleep in, you live or you die, and that's the just and you take a shower. Right. You know, that's the gist of your life. So in the same in the same context, people make life very difficult. Well, I have to have this huge house because this is what everybody thinks. But but geez, I never get to travel. Well, if you never get to travel because you have this great huge house. So I'm not telling you what to do, but if you had maybe, I don't know, a smaller house and all the extra money, you can go wherever you want. Right. I, I just want people to understand there's a couple things. When your decision time comes, you have a plethora of them. Some of them are going to cause you grief. Some of them are going to be scary as everything. But then some of them, if they don't work out, what's the worst that's going to, nobody is going to kill you. Right. It's not like you're in the middle of combat and you're like, oh, please don't kill me if I do this. It's not that. You can make a decision here in a, in a relatively secure nation. You, you won the lottery when you were born in this country. With all the faults this country has, you won the lottery. You can get financial aid, subsidized, whatever. You can get grants. You can get small business loans. And again, because I've been to over 18 countries, either lived or worked or traveled into, you don't get those things anywhere else. So because you have all these opportunities, just talk to people. Talk to people and say, hey, you know what? I want to do this. I don't know how to do it. And have, in the military, we call it a battle buddy. Right. So you battle buddy up, which the person is your soundboard. And when you have a soundboard, um, you know, kind of bounces off. And again, make sure you're morally, you know, making good decisions and all these other things. Don't be crazy. Um, if you are, that's on you. Um, but as long as you talk to your husband or whoever, your wife, whatever it is, people will be pretty receptive, right? Because again, you don't hear one time. So that's really how three paws up is, is trying to explain to the world, look, you have three paws, three, that's all you have. You have everything you need to do right now. Sophia does not need uh, a prosthetic. However, in order to enhance her life, we went up. We used extraordinary effort and created a solution for a problem for her, right? And, and so what we're trying to do is uh, we'd like Sophia to be a therapy cat uh, for, you know, children um, with cancer um, or, or just injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's why we're kind of talking with Shriners folks um, but really what it is, is it's trying to get also technology companies to, to converse with us and brand with us because technology companies actually don't brand to the right consumer. Most big technology companies brand to, you know, the upper 1%, which is great and fine and dandy. But what about if you come back and rebrand to people who don't consider technology? Every one of your listeners listening right now to know somebody who is kind of hunched over in that 45-degree angle, they're scared of technology, they don't even want to talk about back surgery or anything like that. When I got my biotech surgery from UCLA, I haven't had any, I mean, I think maybe I've taken a leave every now and then, but four and a half years of high-dose opioids, which was hydrocodone, um, I haven't taken anything since my surgery. That's how amazing technology can be. It's scary. It's a long recovery. I'm still in recovery. I'm still fusing, right? But if these if these tech companies could think more about branding to the everyday person, right? 
the biomorphogenic that I have is a new meshing technology that basically is kind of like um, a coating to, um, you know, kind of inhibit growth, right? So that's the bone growth inside of me. But who would ever consider thinking about a, a prosthetic for a kitten? Yeah, no. If you, you know, do you have a dog that's an amputee? Because I had a dog when I was a kid that was an amputee. And that's sort of where some of this stems from, right? So it's really getting companies to start branding to the everyday consumer and making technology um, not, not, a, not affordable in the sense of them losing money, but, but start marketing to the right people so that you and I can go in and be like, oh, hey, I'd like to get a biomorphogenic anterior lumbar fusion. Okay, no problem. So it really is spreading um, philanthropy, right? Getting um, kids, you know, the contact with, because I'll tell you what, the one thing that cats do that other animals do not is that when a cat is purring and it has human, it's on a, you know, contact with human skin, Mm -hmm. your human brain releases oxytocin, which is a natural feel-good chemical. Right. No other animal does that. Really? And not only that, but medical companies are now trying to recreate the, um, the purring, the decibel rate in the purring of a cat because cat purrs on bone helps heal 30% quicker. And that comes from John Hopkins. Wow. So cats have one of the most amazing things. So, and, and, here's, and here's kind of why we did this. I love dogs. I'm a huge dog fan. But because I had the injuries I had, I wasn't, I wasn't able to take care of a dog. A dog needs to be walked and run and played with and all this other stuff. Right. And I just didn't have any need to take care of a dog. So if you're that person that maybe you suffer from chronic depression, maybe you suffer from you know, injuries or whatnot, um, think about giving a cat. It, it, it'll add to your, um, to your schedule of, uh, you know, healing, whatever you're using, whether it's Western medicine or holistic or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, a, you know, adopt a cat and, um, and the mood, uh, you know, naturally is going to change. Now, in my opinion, if you're a disabled person, don't adopt a disabled animal at your local shelter. And what better parent, who better understands what, what that animal is going through than a disabled person. That's a good point. No, that, yeah. So, so, you know, we kind of did a, a funny pairing where if the person was visually uh, disabled, we got a dog that was audibly disabled or a cat that was audibly disabled. So if you were hearing impaired, then we got you an animal that was uh, sight impaired, right? It's a, it's a great combo because, again, it, it, it's such an understanding of, you know, of things that of the limitations that don't stop you in your life. But, but they're definitely more of a limitation than anybody else. Carolyn, for the listeners that are listening to you right now, how can they get in touch with you and where can they find uh, your book? Well, um, so if you want to follow Sophia's adventure, because a very cool thing that I will announce on your show is um, we actually start filming with the Animal Planet next month. Oh, wow. Uh, we will be on. The, yes, we I'm so excited. So we are going to be on the very first episode of a brand new show. It is, we will not have the whole show, 
um, as far as moving forward, but um, it's an episode by episode show. And we will be the very first episode. And I cannot tell you the name yet. It's very secret. Um, but it will be about the story that you're hearing about today. Um, that can be super exciting. Uh, we start filming um, and it will be released. I want to say, I'll come back. I'll circle back around with you and I'll let you know when the release date is uh, for that episode. But um, so the book is, again, called Sophia the Bionic Cat, S-O-P-H-I-A. You can find it at Amazon. You can now find it on Barnes & Noble, but you can actually go into Barnes & Noble and find it on the shelf. It's not on the shelf. Nice. And um, if it is not in the shelf in your area, then you can reach out to us at www3, as in the numerical 3, pauseup.com, and we will reach out to your uh, bookstore and, and uh, get the books over there for you. We do have book signings. Uh, we just had one recently in San Diego at the historic um, San Diego Library downtown. And uh, so if you're interested in having us come out and guest speak for you, you can email us at treepaulsup.com. Um, our web, actually, there's a, a link on there that will allow you to email us. Um, you can also follow Sophia's uh, Insanely Funny Adventures on uh, Facebook at Sophia the Bionic Cat. And, of course, she is on Twitter. Um she has delayed tweeting because she has no thumbs. So I have to help her out every now and then. And uh, but Sophia Bionic Cat is also on Twitter. I'm assuming she's going to get an Instagram account because I saw a little message here that said, Mom, I want an Instagram account. Um, so we got to you know take care of that too. But um, so what we're doing now is we're actually writing the second book. This is definitely going to be a series. And we started about three weeks ago um, conversations about a screenplay. Just going to drop that little jewel in there. Uh, we were talking about a screenplay, and we're either going to uh, have this story become something you'll have to go to the theaters and watch, okay. or um, turn on your Saturday morning cartoons with your kids and uh, and watch Sophia's Bionic Adventures. I could definitely see that. Folks, you're already listening to the show, which means you're on the internet right now. Open up another browser. Go to www3, the number three, pauseup.com. Get your copy of Sophia the Bionic Cat today. You can go to uh, buy it there on Amazon or go to barnesandnoble.com. Uh, or if you got a Barnes & Noble in your area, uh, like Carolyn said, go check it out. See if they got it on the shelves. Uh, if not, reach out and make sure you follow uh, Sophia <clears throat> Excuse me, on uh, Facebook, Twitter. She also has a YouTube channel uh, as well. And uh, we're going to make sure that we have all this stuff up on uh, the show page the the decision hour as well as uh, it'll go up on the networks page at heroes media group as uh as well over the next couple days so make sure you guys are are looking out for that as well um carolyn i appreciate you taking time and and thank you so much for for sharing your story with the listeners today folks you don't realize just how lucky we are i i'm, I'm truly grateful that i get to do what i what i do and, and get to interview such these uh great people that are doing stuff in the in the heroes community and and the fact that we're talking to uh a hero herself um you know with with her service uh, and from one vet to another uh karen thank you for everything that that you have done um, any parting words that you want to uh, let our listeners know before we let you go today? Yeah, um, first, it was an honor. I appreciate the time today. Um, um, it, it, the, the parting thing is lift and shift, make good decisions, and pivot. And pivot when it counts. 
Um, and, and again, if you make a mistake, instead of pivoting right, or if you did pivot right, it's okay, turn on pivot left. It's going to be a little crow. You're going to be a little embarrassed that maybe your, your idea didn't work out. But at the end of the day, nobody's trying to kill you. Nobody's trying to shoot at you. They're just trying to blow you up, hopefully. So if you make these great decisions and they don't work out, it's okay. You're still alive. You're still good to go. It's okay. But when you're ready to pivot, talk to your friends, talk to your family members, talk to your loved ones, get the support behind you. And if you don't have the support behind you, it's still okay. Sometimes the decisions that you're going to make are so big and bold that they're going to be scary to people, right? We like comfort. Comfort is great. And that's why people don't make decisions sometimes. At when that decision hour comes, they don't make it because people are going to mock and ridicule and all those things. But at the end of the day, when you're exactly where you want to be and you look backwards, and I'll, I'll say one thing, think about why the rear view mirror in your car is so small and the front windshield is so vast. It's so metaphorical to your life. I like that. So when you're driving down, when you're driving down the road, you're able to look in the rear view mirror, but it's so momentarily and it's so small so that you can catch the glimpses of the bad and of course, and the good. And, but then you automatically, unless you want to, you know, drive into the ditch, you have to turn and look forward and look out this vast windshield that gives you every single opportunity. Again, you did win the lottery when you, when you were born here or when you, you know, came here and, and now you're legally here and all those great things, you won the lottery. You have every single thing you need to do right now to do exactly what you need to do right now. So make great decisions. If you, if, if the decision wasn't so hot, it's okay. Make big and bold decisions because you're not here that long. So make sure that at your moment of decision, you pivot and you blaze a trail. I love You'll it. never lose. I love it. Motivational speaker. I got, I got goosebumps right now. I absolutely love it. <laughs> Carolyn, thank you so much. Thank you, my dear. And uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. That was Carolyn Smith. Awesome, awesome uh, interview. I'm so glad. I've been wanting to have her on uh, for a while. Make sure you check out three the number three, pause up. Uh, com. Get your copy of her book and make sure you follow Sophia the Cat. Um, they got some great things coming up. Um, excited to see what the, what the episode on Animal Planet is going to be. Um, and once I get that information from her, I will blast that out to you guys as well. That's all the time I have today, folks. Uh, again, special thanks to Heroes Media Group, all the sponsors. Make sure you check out all the shows. And if you're listening and you want to become part of the HMG family, simply go to www.heroesmediagroup.com. Uh, just fill out the information and send us an email. And uh, somebody over at the network will, will contact you right away. Uh, until next time, thanks for listening to The Decision Hour.